You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Good morning and welcome. My name is Lise Grande and I am the head of the United States Institute of Peace, which was established by the U.S. Congress in 1984 as a national nonpartisan public institution dedicated to helping prevent, mitigate, and resolve violent conflict abroad. We are very pleased to and honored to welcome the President of Montenegro, His Excellency Milo Dukanovic, for a special conversation on security and stability in the Balkans, the growing threat of Russian malign influence across the European continent, the importance of NATO, and the future of European security architecture. We're delighted to introduce the former Assistant Secretary of State for Europe and Eurasia, Dr. Wes Mitchell, who will be moderating our discussion today. As the Assistant Secretary of State, Dr. Mitchell was responsible for U.S. relations with the countries of NATO, the European Union, Russia, the Caucasus, and Turkey. We are proud that Wes is currently serving as the Institute's senior advisor in our Russia and Europe Center. Russia's decision to invade Ukraine without cause and in defiance of international law and norms has devastated Ukraine, resulting in massive displacement, death, and destruction. The impact of Russia's reckless, wanton decision extends far beyond threatening European security, disrupting food supplies to countries who depend on imports to survive, driving geopolitical realignment, and creating economic hardship in Africa and parts of Asia. In the face of this aggression, European countries in the United States have joined together to strengthen transatlantic bonds and to reassert our shared democratic values. Throughout this terrible war, this terrible year, Montenegro has shown its support for Ukraine, demonstrated its Euro-Atlantic aspirations with humanitarian and military donations and standing with Ukraine at its time of greatest need. To discuss these themes in more depth, we are very pleased to welcome His Excellency the President of Montenegro and to hand over to Dr. Wes Mitchell for introductory comments. Wes. Thank you, Lise. It's a delight to see you. And let me um, echo Lise in saying what a pleasure it is, uh, Mr. President, to have you with us as our guest this uh, this morning. Um, we're, we're delighted you could join us uh, at USIP. And I think I can can speak in particular from my colleagues at the Europe Center in saying uh, how special it is for us to hear your your perspectives. The Western Balkans uh, occupies an important place in the work of our institute for the reasons at least mentioned. I think for our center, uh, the Center uh, for Europe and Russia, it's particularly uh, relevant because of your region's history and geography, but also because of the recent experience that many of the countries in your region have had. Uh, including Montenegro and, and some of your neighbors continue to have with, uh, with, with, with resolving or attempting to resolve and mitigate violent conflict. And I want to say at the top, Montenegro has been a success story in that regard, both in uh, preventing uh, and, uh, violent conflict and in integrating more closely 
with Western institutions. Montenegro separated peacefully from Serbia in 2006. It's had an association agreement with the EU since about that time, since 2007. And of course, uh, Montenegro joined NATO in 2017. Mr. President, you had a front row seat in those events. You've uh, been an active participant in uh, Montenegro's recent history. You've been in uh, national leadership positions for most of the last three decades. Uh, this is, uh, I believe, your second stint as president. You've served as prime minister on four occasions. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, it's correct that you're the longest continually serving national leader in Europe today. Uh, you've been, as Lee said, a very vocal advocate uh, for to, uh, making in making the case for a Western future for Montenegro and for the Western Balkans. Uh, and I should note that you were prime minister at the time of the 2016 parliamentary elections and, and saw firsthand the attempted coup uh, in the lead up to NATO membership. So you're very well acquainted with the challenges that we continue to face in building peace and security in the Western Balkans today. Our center at USIP has been uh, especially monitoring the war in Ukraine. We've been very active uh, also in watching the ripple effects that that war uh, is generating or may generate for neighboring regions, uh, including the Western Balkans, uh, how it affects the situation inside Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, the Serbia-Kosovo dialogue, which is now in a, a very delicate uh, phase, and of course, the situation with North Macedonia. We're hoping to get some of your thoughts on, on those themes today, and not, not just the situation in the Western Balkans, but also the view from Montenegro on the broader picture of Europe, NATO, Ukraine, Russia, where events are headed. So, Mr. President, we have a lot to cover. We are very honored that you could join us, and the floor is yours. Thank you. <clears throat> Zahvalim gospođi Liz Grande na ovoj izuzetnoj mogućnosti da pod okriljem Američkog instituta za mir danas razgovaramo o vrlo važnom pitanju, pitanju koje se tiče sadašnjosti i budućnosti jednog evropskog regiona kakav je Zapadni Balkan, ali i o pitanju koje seže mnogo dublje i koje se tiče zapravo bezbjednosti evropskog i evroatlanskog prostora u cijelini. Zahvalan sam na interesovanju Američkog instituta za mir da sagledamo zajedno ovo pitanje i želim da se zaista zahvalim na pažnji koju nam posvećujete u ovom vrlo delikatnom trenutku. Gospodine Vesmičal, dozvolite da se zahvalim i vama na vrlo inspirativnom uvodnom izlaganju i na inspirativnim tezama koje ste mi ponudili kao posticaj za moj prilog tijelja vjerujem vrlo zanimljivoj diskusiji u nastavku. Najprije bih kazao da ruska agresija na Ukrajinu ima vrlo snažne refleksije na prostor Zapadnog Balkana. Vjerujem da to... Let me first of all say that the Russian aggression in Ukraine has strong repercussions on this region and I believe that we all have registered that the Russian engagement in this region has actually started much before. Uh, ever since 2014, Russia has been uh, changing its course towards the perspectives of the European Balkan and uh, it has been trying to uh, have an influence here in the Western Balkans countries, trying to make them choose a different future and to 
uh, instead of the Euro-Atlantic one. Uh, the most drastic such uh, influence of Russia into the Western Balkans has happened in our country back in 2016, uh, at the time of uh, parliamentary elections, as you know, through the organization of its security services and with the assistance of a regional platform, which was in Belgrade, it attempted to, to, to change government in Montenegro with its primary objective to, to prevent the formalization of uh, Montenegro's accession to NATO. As you remember, we managed to resist such an attempt. We managed to have elections and uh, Montenegro has uh, confirmed the mandate of its uh, people and uh, a couple of months later on we, we formalized our membership in NATO. Of course, none of us had any illusions that Russia would uh, give up on its intent. On the contrary, we believed that they would only increase their destruction and that they will even broaden its repertoire of hybrid war in the Western Balkans, which is eventually what happened. So in those years, after 2016, uh, and till today, uh, we had uh, an increased Russian hybrid aggression, uh, which led to uh, demolition of values here in the Western Balkans. Uh, uh, so I wish to tell you that uh, the situation in the Western Balkans today is actually worse than compared to the one uh, from six or seven years ago. And this should worry us, uh, all of us together. And in all those talks I had with the European officials and uh, NATO officials and uh, officials of the Euro-Atlantic area officials, I was indicating that there is no vacuum in geopolitics, you know, if European Union and NATO are not present in an area, that area will be penetrated by others or by third parties. In this case, it was Russia and they took a very offensive stance and uh, uh, they, they even um, uh, for, managed to establish some some centers of hybrid war here in the region. So today, I can unfortunately say that the reform efforts in the Western Balkans are much lower. Those efforts that should lead our countries to the membership in the European Union, they used to be the case a couple of years ago. Fortunately, we have achieved our first goal, membership in NATO, but for several years already, together with other countries of the Western Balkans, we are stagnating on the path towards the membership in the European Union. What I would also like to note is that in the Western Balkans, we have already had a very obvious replica of what Russia is trying to do in their own region. In the Balkans, we have an attempt of creation of the Serbian world as a kind of annex to the Russian world in the region of Russia. So what Russia is trying to do through the policy of the revision of the history through their strengthened influence in the countries in their neighborhood to restore their geopolitical importance that Soviet Union used to have. That's the same as Serbia is trying to do in the region of the Western Balkans. So definitely these are very retrograde policies 
policies that don't want to rule their countries. No, they want to rule their nations. And if they are focused on ruling their nations, they definitely infringe the sovereignty of other countries. That's what we can see in the region where Serbia is trying to rule Montenegro. They are trying to rule Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo and Northern Macedonia. And I would say that unfortunately such policy is still not getting a proper answer, adequate answer from our Western partners. It seems to me that the Western partners precisely detected the problems in Russia and its neighborhood, but it is as if they miss to see that in the Western Balkans we have a mini attempt to have the same policy installed here, the same as in Russia. It seems to me that the Western partners' policy towards Western Balkans is unfortunately still burdened by many calculations and many compromises that, in my opinion, are not necessary, and they are damaging the principles that we together fight for. I believe that it is more than sufficient evidence so that we can register very precisely in the Western Balkans who is fighting for the Western system of values and respect for international law, and who actually flirts with Russian aggression and who still is not clear about who is the aggressor and who is the victim and which side they want to be. I also want to say that the Russian invasion made us question all earlier relations and assessments and policies that we had on the level of Europe and Euro-Atlantic community. And this invasion not only provoked ordeal and sufferings of civilians and destructions, but it is a brutal aggression against a sovereign country and it is an attack against the fundamental principles of the international order after the Second World War. And from the perspective of the democratic and free world, Russian aggression was an alarm to wake up to defend the values and principles of liberal order based on rules. And it turns out that unlike autocratic regimes that want to do the revision and go back to the uh, Cold War divisions and sphere of influence, the war against Ukraine strengthened the cooperation on the basis of values on the level of Europe and transatlantic bond. Waking up of the European Union and strong resistance that can be seen in sanctions against Russia and the candidacy statues to Moldova and Ukraine and accepting the permanent threat and consequences of Russia against uh, different countries, including Western Balkans, actually pushed European Union to transform its energy policy and to reduce and almost neutralize dependence on Russia in terms of gas. After 24th of February last year, Europe has shown a continuity of clearer policy towards the countries of the Western Balkans, and that is encouraging. Unfortunately, 
In the last couple of years, we had a pretty high lack of interest of the European Union to continue their most successful policy, enlargement policy, and to complete the defined vision of uniting Europe. It seems to me that the enlargement policy by the European Union until the invasion, invasion against Russia was dominantly administrative. And since then, the European Union started emphasizing the geopolitical aspect of integration of Western Balkans into the European Union and indicates to how important it is to have the stability of the region if we want to have stability of Europe and the Euro-Atlantic area. Unfortunately, I have to notice that the time that is behind us actually has consequences. In that time, the Russian influence actually substituted the logical influence of European Union NATO. The reforms stopped in all countries of the Western Balkans. So I can tell you from the perspective of Montenegro, after the European Union gave an offer for Montenegro to continue intensive reforms to use its position of the leader, because Montenegro is realistically a leader in the negotiation process with the European Union, we did not have proper reaction of Montenegro. And that is a consequence of what I talked to you about, that Montenegro unfortunately became a victim of the Russian hybrid warfare in the Western Balkans, and that for two and a half years after the change of power in August 2020, we have had two governments that in the meantime lost confidence, but the other one functions in the technical term of office. So we had two governments that flirted more with regional nationalisms and with Russian geopolitical interests. Then they were dedicated to reforms and then working on finalizing Montenegro's path towards the European Union. When it comes to the other significant influence in the Balkans, the Chinese influence. I would like to share this with you as well in my introduction. I would like to say to you that uh, this influence is obvious. It is present, particularly in terms of economy. And it is most prominent, it has been more prominent in the implementation of the projects of key infrastructure, not equal in all countries. It does exist in Montenegro, but it is particularly focused in the last largest country of our region in Serbia. I would say that in line with what the Chinese policy is traditionally, we can say that this is a long-term strategy and it seems that the presence in the region is somehow dedicated and focused on the China coming closer to the European Union. And it seems to me that since they launched the initiative 16 plus one, they are trying through the countries of the Central and Southeastern Europe uh, to come closer to the European Union. Chinese companies are active, they take the space for investment that unfortunately is not sufficiently used by our Western partners. China, and I want to say this, so far respects our freedom of choice. They never interfered in our internal issues, but as we can see, as everybody else, that the partnership between China 
and Russia is being strengthened. We saw the recent visit of Mr. C to Moscow. And the world is going into a decisive period. We are witnessing the birth of the new global order. We will see the new geopolitical situation being created. This is the fight of the big ones to get a better position in the geopolitical architecture. Unfortunately, we know that it never ends at that. In spite of the unity of democratic forces, there are differences, first of all, in economic interests. And it seems to me that it is particularly visible within the European Union, but also within NATO. We do not expect China to be a partner to Europe in building democracy, but they will try to uh, take their position wisely. We equally believe that they will have partnership relations with Russia, but I don't think that they will ever damage their own interests. The issue of trade in energy, climate change, global health will not be able to be solved if the world is strictly divided. But regardless of the character of power and structures in power, the solution will be possible only in the world that will be based on rules. Montenegro is highly interested in what position Europe will take in the new geopolitical scene. It's logical, we are a part of Europe in geography, history and culture. So, to take the position that belongs to it, Europe will have to articulate its strategic interests in a more clear way in its own territory and within the Euro-Atlantic partnership, which is the best framework for European interests, and which is something that brought not only to America and Europe, but also to the entire world uh, very good benefits after the Second World War. So this is my introductory note to your very inspiring thesis, and it will be my pleasure to answer all your questions, of course. Well, Mr. President, thank you for those comments. I think that was very comprehensive and it covered the region, it covered the situation in Montenegro, Europe, the world. So I think you've given us a, a good platform for talking about taking the conversation in a lot of different directions. I want to start, if I may, uh, by asking a question uh, close to home for you there in your own region, the situation between Serbia and Kosovo. Uh, the, as you know, the European Union special representative uh, has set ambitious new deadlines, uh, benchmarks for normalization, uh, has, has ramped up diplomacy really with both parties. Serbia has stuck very closely to Russia in its position since the beginning of the Ukraine war. And I think we see uh, in the dispute, for example, over uh, license plates, uh, an opportunity for disruption and derailing the dialogue. How, how do you see the situation with, with Kosovo and Serbia? How optimistic are you that the, the new EU approach will work? That would be my, that would be my first question. We can pause there if you want to take a crack at it, and then I'll, uh, I'll go on to the next question. Thank you very much for a very inspiring question. 
I guess you remember the difficult crisis that former Yugoslavia went through, and you remember that in its formal end, after the Dayton Agreement was signed, three very difficult questions remained. One question was the question of relations between Serbia and Kosovo, and the other question of relations between northern Macedonia with its neighbors. And the third question that remained unsolved was the question of functionality of Bosnia. Unfortunately, even today, 20 years later, or 27 or 28 years later, actually, after the Dayton Agreement was signed, we have these questions not finally solved. First, we had a problem of Macedonia with Greece, and after that, as you can see, the problem moved to the next neighbors, so they still do not have certain date of the negotiations or the beginning of negotiations of Northern Macedonia with the European Union. And the process in negotiations between Serbia and Kosovo is still uncertain. And unfortunately, I have to say that the most hopeless for me at this moment is the question of the dysfunctionality of Bosnia and Herzegovina. So development in the world led to the following situation. The United States that had the key role in the international policy towards former Yugoslavia until 1995, in the meantime, focused its foreign policy attention on other issues. And these questions remained unsolved. And there is no alternate, alternative capacity in the international community that could adequately solve them. So today, we are faced with the situation that in the changed geopolitical relations and circumstances, Russia, that traditionally used Balkans for achieving their own interests, abuses Western Balkans even today to spread their doctrine of destruction in the European soil. Absolutely clear. We have the doctrine of destruction that Russia already in 2013 shaped, and they are today waging their war against the West particularly against Europe, in Europe everywhere, they encourage retrograde policies. And in the Western Balkans, they don't need to seek hide and law for them. They exist in the Western Balkans traditionally. And they show their full destructive capacity in the early 90s, as we remember. That's when we had war in former Yugoslavia. And that's when we had 150,000 people uh, died. Unfortunately, those policies got revived with the support of Russia, unfortunately. And they are restored and revived, believing that they are right, that they just did not have adequate circumstances in the 90s. And they believe that now they have adequate circumstances because Russia is stronger and more engaged in the Western Balkans. So Russia is playing now also with the question between of relations between Serbia and Kosovo. I believe you registered this. Whenever there is an opportunity to see a serious breakthrough in the implementation and solution to this problem, Russia gets involved. And they get involved immediately if there is a progress in Bosnia and Herzegovina. They immediately encourage something in Republic of Srpska, trying to destroy the opportunity of Bosnia and Herzegovina to become a functional state. So unfortunately, I want to tell you that Western Balkans is still a battlefield 
where Russia is trying to use its destructive policies to achieve their anti-European goals. And I have to tell you another thing. As the president of Montenegro and all the citizens of Montenegro, we all support strongly the negotiation process between Serbia and Kosovo. We are very much aware that solution of that problem would contribute very much to more reliable stability and that maybe after that Serbia could focus on its own European future and that it would be excellent for the part of all countries from the Western Balkans towards European Union. Therefore, we strongly support the efforts of the international community, just like you. I am skeptical, though, about these ambitiously set deadlines for signing this agreement. Everything that I see on a daily basis in the policy of Serbia leads me to that conclusion. Serbia does not accept that Kosovo is independent. Whatever they say, Serbia is trying in any possible way to bring things back to the beginning. And they are trying to show and prove that Kosovo should be within Serbia. And I think it is uh, the revision, attempted revision, but in vain, just like the Putin's policy to uh, restore Soviet Union. Serbia lost Kosovo, unfortunately, and they lost Kosovo because they continuously had a wrong policy. It was a policy even before Milosevic, and particularly in the time of Milosevic, when they had a climax. They uh, did their policy in such a way that they lost war against NATO. They provoked NATO airstrikes and logically lost Kosovo. So I think that the huge problem is that today Serbia, led by new state policy or led by current leadership, still hopes that they can bring things back to the beginning. And that's why I'm skeptical about whether the deadlines that are set by the European and American negotiators are realistic. And I will finish by saying something that I already mentioned in the introduction. It seems to me that the negotiation negotiators from our Western partners want to put Serbia in a good mood so that they are constructive in the negotiations with Kosovo. And I think that they give them too many concessions, too many concessions to Serbia. And I think Serbia uses that to deteriorate their relations in the region. So I'm afraid that in the end, we will not get the agreement that will be signed or that we will not get it within the envisaged deadline. But we are now getting something else then that is deteriorated relations of Serbia with our neighbors, because in order to achieve and make their project of Serbian role, coming through, and because of their need to rule not Serbia, but to rule Serbs in the region, they interfere into sovereignty of neighbors. And that's why they are deteriorating the relations. So I think that it is very important that the negotiators and our Western partners truly analyze all these things that I am indicating to, so that in the end, they don't work against the principles that are common and that can lead us to our desired goal. Thank you. Well, thank you for that very detailed answer, uh, Mr. President. That was, it was helpful to hear your perspective on that. I, I want to move on to uh, a question about the overall situation in Europe uh, and NATO, but I, I can't resist asking one follow-up question about uh, the situation in the Western Balkans. You, you mentioned North Macedonia, and 
this has been a real success story in many regards. Uh, the breakthrough, I mean, the compromise and the persistence that it required from uh, Scopia and Athens. The name deal was 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 a tectonic shift, and um, then, of course, followed by North Macedonia's entry into NATO, which a lot of people thought would never happen. And now the uh, process, the path seems stalled for North Macedonia as relates to the European Union. But we're a lot further along than we were even a few years ago. And I wonder, from from your perspective, as someone who's been in a national leadership role uh, in the Western and Western Balkans country for several years now, do you see a lesson of any kind in practical diplomacy? I mean, um, at the level of resolving conflict? Is there a model or a lesson from the dynamic between Greece and, Mas and North Macedonia about conflict mitigation, conflict prevention that can be applied to other conflicts in the region or even other conflicts in the world? Um, I wonder it, it, what your thoughts are on, on what, if any, lessons we can learn from uh, PRESPA uh, that could have a carryover effect. Is it just completely unique? Was that a once in once in a century moment, or the the dynamics were com were sui generis and 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 unique to that situation? Or is there any model or lesson that we could extract and use in conflicts elsewhere? It is a very good question, and I think that we should take two lessons from this experience. The first one is that we make serious mistakes, all of us, when we selfishly emphasize only national interests and to the detriment of the common interests. The conflict between Macedonia and Greece about certain issues that are related to their relations is today Realistically, something that opened the space of, to infil for infiltration of Russian policy into that area. And it's not good either for Northern Macedonia nor to Greece. And I think it should be a serious warning, even in this current misunderstanding between Bulgaria and Northern Macedonia. So in addition to national interests that are legitimate, we have to understand the common interest, and that's stability and prosperity in every part of Europe, including the Western Balkans. Balkans. If we want Europe to be stable and safe, if we want Europe to be spared uh, and protected from malign influence in any part of its territory, and so that we can together aim at prosperity, that is a very important lesson. The second lesson is that we have to respect the momentum. Today, unfortunately, it is very difficult to expect that Northern Macedonia will ensure consensus to amend the constitution that Bulgarian side is expecting to approve of the beginning of the negotiations with Northern Macedonia. It is much more difficult to do it today than earlier. And I want to tell you, when we miss the momentum, then later on we have problems that in spite of goodwill, and I do not doubt that Northern Macedonia has goodwill to amend the constitution and to start the negotiations, but today I seriously wonder whether Northern Macedonia can ensure the required consensus in the parliament to amend the constitution, and I'm really afraid that they might miss the deadline. And it seems to me that the deadline is by the end of this year or by November, when Northern Macedonia has to do it. And I think that they 
will miss yet another deadline for the beginning of the negotiations with the European Union. It seems to me that these are two important lessons that we would have to take into account much more everywhere in Europe and in the, in the entire region, much more than earlier. Thank you for that. That was that was valuable. Um, let me now zoom out a little bit and look at the wider map of Europe. You mentioned in your comments the impact that the Ukraine war is having uh, in uh, uh, Europe and European security architecture, NATO. <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear that that, that war has shown uh, how costly it is that we have this unfinished business. The West, I mean, Western institutions have unfinished business in Eastern Europe, Western Balkans. Your country successfully navigated the path to NATO. Uh, you're still on, on the long path to the EU. And, and, and the pattern that seems to present itself in the, in, the, the, in the European neighborhood in so many cases is similar to that, that there's progress towards NATO, but the path to the EU is stalled. Uh, the Eastern Partnership Program, for example, that the European Union launched around the time of, of the Bucharest summit uh, and open door policy on NATO. Uh, we, we, we really have seen slow movement uh, on the European Union side, and it seems to be getting uh, even more protracted and slower, the more intense the security dynamic becomes. And I think the, the Ukraine war could affect that in either a positive or a negative way. So I wonder, what, what are your thoughts? This, this war <clears throat> right next door, do you see this as potentially galvanizing Europe into a greater seriousness about taking responsibility and I mean the European Union specifically, taking greater responsibility for the stability of the Western Balkans, Ukraine, um, Moldova. Do you think it'll 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 jolt or or prompt European leaders to to get more serious about those responsibilities, or do you think it'll do the opposite? That the fact that we have a hot war underway could actually lead European leaders to become more risk averse or more cautious about expanding European institutions. I wonder what your thought is on that. Well, it's interesting to observe what's going on after the 24th of February 2022. As you remember, in the introduction, I criticized a lot the policy of enlargement of the European Union until that time. And practically, European Union slowed down the enlargement policy for years. And then in the last couple of years before the 24th of February 2022, they almost stopped it. And it seems to me that after that day, Europe has understood well how important it is to continue the policy of enlargement and uniting Europe. And that integration of the Western Balkans is very important for the stability and security of Europe as a whole. What I hope is that Europe will show persistence in that perception of things, not only during the conflict in Ukraine, but after that as well, because we will need a lot of time to deal with the consequences of what I call the value devastation of the Western Balkans. But I would like to tell you on the example of Montenegro, 
what it looks like, very concretely. These days, I am in the election campaign for the presidential elections, and I have to explain to people why in those elections, yet again, we are at the same crossroad, at the same junction, although we believe that for four times already we successfully passed that junction. First time in 1996, when we had the conflict with Milosevic's policy in Montenegro. Second time in 1999, when we did not accept Milosevic's offer to be a part of their war conflict with NATO alliance. And the third time, when in a peaceful and democratic way in 2006, we restored our independence. And in 2016 and 17, for the fourth time, when in spite of the attempted coup, we joined NATO. All of those were junction, exactly the same as the one that we have to pass today. And then the logical question is, why do we have to go by the same junction again and again for the five times? And I will tell you, it's because Europe was not active enough in encouraging reforms in the region of the Western Balkans, and Europe did not contribute to our societies moving faster towards the European goal. We have to understand, Western Balkans is a very specific part of Europe. It is the region where people are not born with European values. It's not inherent to us. This region waged wars much longer than it developed in its history. And the consequence is that very frequently we have instabilities here. And out of the entire experience, it becomes clear that our self-regulatory mechanisms of stability are not reliable, that we need to strengthen them, and they can be strengthened only through integration. So between the stability of the Western Balkans and integration into European Union and NATO, there is an equality sign. It is the same. And we did not have that encouragement in the last couple of years. So instead of that, Russia got in and emboldened or encouraged the nationalists. And nationalists are back at their own stories and they offer alternative to European story. And their alternative is an illusion. They claim that multi-ethnic democracy is not possible in the Western Balkans. They claim that we are so different and so intolerant to each other that instead of multi-ethnic democracy, we need to change the borders and have national and religiously, nationally and religiously homogenous states. So that the Western Balkans continues living outside of the mainstream of Europe and Euro-Atlantic area. Unfortunately, today again, through the presidential elections, we have to go through the same dilemma for the fifth time. And it's now served on us thanks to the geopolitical circumstances. But this only confirms what I said, that it is very easy for the Western Balkans to slide into mistakes. And it's very important that Europe now, after it realized fully the geopolitical importance of the Western Balkans, supported by NATO, uh, European Union should focus now on the area of the Western Balkans. I think that Union and European Union and NATO have to say Western Balkans is the zone of our responsibility, full stop. There is no room for others. We have to lead the process of emancipation and Europeization of all countries and societies of the Western Balkans. If that happens, reforms will continue in the Western Balkans. And we can talk about foreseeable future of all countries of the Western Balkans in the European Union and almost all of them, at least in NATO. Mr. President, that was very helpful. And you're being very generous with your time. I want to turn to the audience 
And uh, we have our first question from the audience that I'm going to take the liberty of passing over to you. Uh, and the question is, how do you, Mr. President, see the war in Ukraine ending? Do you envision the status quo returning? That's the question from the audience. So the um, in, end of the uh, uh, the end game in, in Ukraine and what, what things could look like mm -hmm. afterwards, after the war. Well, I would like to say that the least problem for Ukraine is that I don't know the answer to this question, but it seems to me that the situation is that nobody knows the answer to that question, including those who participate in the war. Of course, we all hope that an authoritative peace initiative will happen and try to lead this war until the peaceful end, because we all know that after every war, we have to have peace initiative. The sooner, the better. The sooner the devastation will be uh, smaller. Well, the question is, and the, the most difficult question is, what is the possible scenario? In the various international meetings where I participate as the president of Montenegro, I can hear various ideas. How? this war can be ended. I always keep warning of how sensitive and delicate the position of President Zelensky is. We should all try to step in his shoes for a moment. I mean, he's at the head of the country, which was brutally attacked and which lost a huge number of people soldiers and civilians. And now the question is how much room for maneuver he has at all for any serious compromise that will most probably be proposed by those who will be the architects of the peace agreement for Ukraine. So that's why I think that the situation is very complicated. And to be honest, I am afraid very much that this war, thanks to various interests and among other things, thanks to the fact that nobody is seriously dealing with any peace initiative, I'm afraid that this war might last quite long. Uh, let me ask one follow-up question that I think is the obvious one in light of some of your other comments about NATO and, and the European Union. When you look at the situation in Ukraine and you think about possible scenarios for how it will end in a diplomatic or military sense, if you look a little further out beyond that, what, what do you think the future looks like for Ukraine with, with respect to the West? I mean, I, I think everyone would agree that Ukraine is choosing a Western future. But I don't yet see a consensus either in the United States or in Europe on exactly what that what that institu what the institutional uh, dimension or nature of that relationship should look like. Do you do you see Ukraine becoming a member of NATO? Do you see it becoming a member of the European Union? Um, give me a little sense of what your what what the crystal ball looks like from your perspective on the future of, of Ukraine longer term. You are right when you 
mentioned the broader aspects of the conflict in Ukraine. And it's absolutely clear it's not a bilateral conflict. This is a Russian aggression against the Western system of values. Where Russia logically chooses Europe as the target. They don't want to choose America as the target, of course. But, of course, this is clearly an attack against the Western system of values. They are trying to destroy European system of values and European unity. And that's why you and I can agree in being happy that Europe recognized this and they united and they stood among those who provide great support to Ukraine, because we are aware that we are defending European security in Ukraine today. So I think... So when it comes to the future of Ukraine, I have no doubts the entire scenario pushed Ukraine stronger towards the West. And I think Europe was responsible in their reaction. They gave Ukraine the status of a candidate. And I think that at the end of the war in Ukraine, we will know not only what the epilogue of the war is, but we will know also whether the West managed to persist on one of its fundamental principles, and that is that every country and every nation can freely choose their path towards for the future. Or we shall go back to the period and rules of the Cold War, where you have to get a license from a bigger neighbor for something that should be your interest. I sincerely hope, as a president of a small country, and a country whose entire history is fighting for freedom. I sincerely hope that we will all persist on that and that we will not allow any kind of revision of, of that type. If that remains so, I believe that Ukraine will continue moving in a fast manner and a dedicated manner towards membership in the European Union. And within that, we need to analyze also the issue of membership in NATO. I believe that it will be more subtle and that it will be solved on a higher level, not only on the level of Ukraine. But there is something that should encourage all of us. I mean, if this situation with Ukraine encouraged today the traditionally neutral Finland and Sweden to choose to become members of NATO, then there is no doubt that this will certainly be the future of Ukraine. So when that future will come, I think it will be an element of a kind of peace agreement for Ukraine. But I have no dilemma that the future direction of Ukraine will be pro-Western and that it will start by its membership in the European Union. Thank you for those thoughts. Let me um, group together two questions that came from audience members uh, that have to do with the domestic situation inside Montenegro. Um, you mentioned the presidential elections. One of our viewers has asked um, the following, uh, the U.S. and others expressed concerns that Russia would interfere in the Montenegrin presidential election, but that doesn't appear to have happened. Can you comment, please? And then let me uh, add a second uh, question domestic in focus. Uh, Mr. President, thank you for your time today. Corruption can create fissures in government and society, which make hybrid threats more impactful. What is Montenegro doing to combat corruption? 
So the first question was on Russian interference in the presidential election, and the second was on corruption and uh, Montenegrin uh, efforts to combat corruption. Well, I wish if I could confirm the assumption contained in the question number one about Russia not interfering. It is just an illusion. And people have rights, have right to have illusions, particularly if they observe the situation from a distance. I will go back to the definition that I shared with you. Russian world is the same as the Serbian world. Russian policy in their region is equal as the Serbian policy in their region. The most important instruments of both of those policies are their Orthodox churches. And I believe you follow that very well. The Russian patriarch Kirill, on a daily basis, blesses aggression against Ukraine. That's what the officials of the Serbian Orthodox Church do, regardless whether they are in Serbia or in Montenegro, and they are very active in policy, in politics. I would say today, without any risk, of being mistaken that Serbian church and Russian church today are only to a very negligible extent religious organizations. They are absolutely political organizations, both of them. So we do have instruments of the Russian soft power in the territory of the Western Balkans and today in Montenegro. And we should not forget the churches are not involved by going to people's homes and preach. No, they go to people's homes and bring money, illegal money, that is coming from Moscow and from Belgrade. So unfortunately, Russia and Serbia are very much involved in this election process. This is something that has become a tradition. Unfortunately, I am sorry that although I was warning since 2016, there was no adequate or more adequate reaction in some of the Western addresses. I believe that they saw my warnings as yet another Russophobic country in Europe, in addition to Poland and Baltic countries. But we can see today that it was not a Russophobia. It was just a perception of certain hybrid activities of Russia in a very sensitive region as Western Balkans. I hope that we will manage to get out of this problem successfully. And I hope that we will manage to preserve the domination of European Euro-Atlantic policy in Montenegro and that Montenegro will continue being a responsible member of NATO and that Montenegro will continue its path towards European Union membership. As for corruption, it is a legitimate question, of course, and I said already that this region, not only Montenegro, this region waged war much more frequently in its history than it developed. So, I mean, if you have every 30 or 40 years at least a local war, and if the social problems are solved by arms, then 
there was no time for the rule of law. And it's very important for Montenegro that in 2017 it became a member of NATO and that it enjoys today a higher quality of security and that it has the stronger feeling of security of every citizen and that today we can deal with uh, some important questions that arise in the times of peace. And there are two important questions. First, the rule of law. And within that, serious combating of crime and corruption. And the second is development of economy, which should ensure our citizens a higher level of living standard um, in the future in parallel with the membership in the European Union. I think that the structures that were in power by 2020 were working seriously on both topics. But as I said, in the last two and a half years, uh, we lost time for Montenegro. We will try through the results of the presidential elections and then parliamentary elections that will happen in June to bring Montenegro back to the right track so that Montenegro can continue dealing with reforms and achieving standards and going towards European Union. And the condition for that is the efficient fight against crime and corruption and improvement of the rule of law. There is progress, I want to encourage you, there is progress in this field in Montenegro, and I truly believe that we have capacities to deal with that problem. Mr. President, I think we have time for one more question from the audience. And what I'm going to do is... Um, I'm going to tack on a similar question from myself. I'm going to kind of bundle these two together because I think they're very similar and let you uh, give us your closing comments on this. Um, the question from the audience is as follows. Recent NATO polling shows that Montenegrin citizens su support, citizen support for NATO is at its lowest point. What can be done to improve citizen support for NATO? And I, let me tack on to that a question that occurs to me that's it's similar, but uh, it's a little bit broader. Um, and it has to do with your legacy as a leader. You've, as I mentioned at the start of the conversation, you've been in positions of national leadership in Montenegro now for more than three decades. So I think you've had a, a firsthand, a front row uh, view of the history of your country from the time of the end of the Cold War and, and breakup of Yugoslavia, peaceful separation from Serbia. So I mentioned at the beginning of the call, Montenegro as a success story in the Balkans because of your peaceful resolution of conflict, your path towards the West. In light of this question from the, I, I, would, I would put it in terms that the uh, person from the audience has asked, if, if support for NATO is declining in Montenegro, as you look back on the, on the path that Montenegro has come, come down, how confident are you or how optimistic that that path that you've worked on for your country, the path towards the West, how secure is that legacy? How secure is the Western path for Montenegro? The topic is excellent for the end of our conversation today. 
I already told you I'm an optimist when it comes to the opportunities for democratic society. I mean, for democratic society, the, the best opportunity to confirm that its choice is right and that it is persistent to uh, deal with the obstacles towards the goal are the elections. We have presidential and parliamentary elections within two months, and our society has the possibility to confirm its persistence of its decision to take the European Euro-Atlantic path. But allow me to connect these two questions, as you suggested. I told you that in the Western Balkans, people are not born with European Euro-Atlantic values. They are not inherent to them. It's absolutely opposite. We need a long-term process of emancipation of these societies so these societies can reach the European system of values and that we can understand the advantages of a belonging to Euro-Atlantic community. In this process, it is very important that at the head of our countries, there are leaders who lead those states towards that goal. I have been in that role, leading the country. And frequently, I made the moves for which I believe that they are good for my country, right for my country, although most of the people in my country or anywhere did not understand it. Let me not go far. I mean, I will just mention the time when Milosevic introduced Yugoslavia into the war against nature. Montenegro was a part of that country, was a part of that Yugoslavia. And it was not really expected that I, as the then president of Montenegro, come forward and say, this is not our war, we will not participate in it. We want to become members of NATO as soon as possible. Most of the people in Montenegro did not understand that message at the time. But a year after that, I met people who used to judge me who then told me, you were right, we did not die in that war, we did not lose our material goods, and now we have clearly opened path towards our goal. Why does it happen now that the popularity of NATO is declining in Montenegro? Because of what I described in one of my answers. So thanks to the change of structures in power, which happened in mid-2020, and which happened under the strong pressure of Russia and Serbia, and with serious lack of understanding of our Western partners, serious misunderstanding and lack of understanding, because the Western partners at that time really advocated or accepted one political goal. They made it absolute, and that is to change the structures in power, just because they were in power for a long time. I do understand that. That is a valid point. I am a Democrat, and I know that changing the structures in power is very important for the good democratic pace of us, of one society. But if you make that an absolute goal, change at any cost, then you risk seriously to get something worse than you had. And that's what happened to us. In the last two and a half years, we had governments that flirt with greater Serbian nationalism and that flirt with Russian geopolitical interests in this region. And because of that, we are now losing support to NATO membership because you don't have leadership at the head of this state that believe that our future path of membership in NATO and 
European parts are not proper. I mean, they don't believe that it is proper. That's why I will go back to the key message. Our elections now, presidential and parliamentary, are great opportunities if we use them in the best way, in the good way. And if Montenegro chooses, and I will not go to individual solutions or party solutions in parliamentary elections, but if Montenegro chooses sincere representatives of Europe and Euro-Atlantic future of Montenegro, which would be logical, because the research has shown that the public supports Montenegrin membership in the European Union with over 75%. So if the citizens confirm that in these elections, giving their trust to such parties, we will get leadership in the state again to continue leading the country towards that goal. While that is the commitment of the largest majority of people who support that, not only on the verbal level, but accept the values and their commitments, it will take time. But it is important that in the meantime, the country has the leadership that will firmly lead it towards the Euro-Atlantic vision and Euro-Atlantic goal. This is my response. I spoke uh, at length and I spoke in details, but I believe this is uh, uh, proper for the topic that you uh, put on the table. Thank you. Well, Mr. President, you have been very generous with your time and your thoughts, the thoughts that you have shared with us have been comprehensive and covered a really wide uh, waterfront. And I particularly appreciated um, the reminder that you've given us all of what's at stake in Ukraine, it is about more than Ukraine. And, and uh, so I appreciated you putting that in a broader context and battle of ideas and global geopolitics. And uh, also the, your reflections on stability in the Western Balkans and um, so many of the dynamics there that remain fluid and they're not self-contained. It, it was a reminder of the responsibility that we have also in the West to keep up our engagement there. So so thank you for the thoughts that you've shared. We've gone a little bit over the cl clock and we appreciate you bearing with us. Thank you to our audience members for very interesting and provocative questions. And of course, thank you to my colleagues at the U.S. Institute of Peace for hosting the uh, discussion. And we hope that all of you will continue to follow our work in the days ahead. I think we're gonna, we'll sign off with that. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. Vas Mitchell, for a very interesting conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.